0: Hi everybody, I'm your host, Guillaume Cauchois, and this is a new episode of Tapir Rouge. Today's shout-out goes to Brittany G. Moore, the fierce rope and sear wheel artist from the Helena Fisher Tour, who was the first one to find out our guest today, Darren Bersouk. I met Darren when he was the head coach on Amaluna. Getting to know him, I learned that on top of being an amazing coach and support to the team, he also had a fantastic career. As a Cirque du Soleil artist. Also, he happened to have done the creation and the tour of Delirium, which is really a unique project in Cirque du Soleil's history. What's clear with Darren is that he is one of these artists who understood how to keep on growing by never stopping to transform what he learns into something new. After all his years performing and coaching to an elite level, he just recently released his first book about fitness and nutrition called. Get off your ass. And yes, it is a simple and actually very fun approach to health and fitness. So here he is, the fit and fun, Darren Berzouk. Darren, welcome to Rouge. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, man, I'm super happy to see you after all, all these
1: years. How you doing? i'm doing very well thanks Yep. yeah and uh it's nice to see you and your your family getting bigger and still out <laughs> on tour doing
0: doing your thing yeah it's been it's been crazy touring with kids is uh, is a different different ball game for sure but y- you know you know about that <laughs> yeah we toured
1: south america with a a 2 year old yeah my wife and i so uh we've been through it yeah it was a lo- it was a lot of fun it was a challenge but uh looking back you know, those were, were great times and you're going to look back and think the same thing.
0: Yeah. yeah, for sure. But before we get into this specific part of your life, you've been working for Cirque du Soleil for many years and in very different capacities. So do you want to take us from the very beginning? Like, how did you get involved with acrobatics? What's your background and how did you get involved with Cirque du Soleil in the first place?
1: Uh, so I started in gymnastics like a lot of us do. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on the national Canadian national gymnastics team for seven years, and uh, I went to two World Championships, a bunch of pretty major international competitions. Uh, my goal was to make it to the '96 Olympics, and I blew my knee out at American Cup in '95, oh, so that put a damper on my Olympic hopes. Um, I rushed to get back into shape. Um, I had my surgery, I, uh, you know, I blew my ACL completely. So they had to reattach it. Mm-hmm. And because I rushed the surgery, I paid for that later. I didn't get to go to the 96 Olympics. Um, but, uh, I ended up finishing up my, uh, my college and mm-hmm. journalism. And after that, I was like, ah, oh, geez, you know, what am I going to do? I found myself working at Chrysler as a, as a janitor for a very short time. Wow. Really? Yes. Yeah. So, and Cirque du Soleil was having some auditions in Toronto. So that's a four hour drive away from me.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So I was like, ah, do I want to make the drive? Like, do I really want to do that? <laughs> you know, I, I, I had wanted to be specifically in Allegria High Bar since I'd seen Allegria, I don't know, maybe three or four years before that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. So I drove to Toronto and I had my audition. And it went pretty well, you know, I had to do things for the first time, like they're asking me to act like fire, you know, yeah. how do you, I don't know how to act like fire, you know, as an <laughs> athlete, as opposed to a performer, these are, these are strange things, you know, act like water. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to act like water. So the physical stuff went well, the acting stuff, I was like, geez, I have no idea how I did that. <laughs> and so when I'm leaving the audition, they said, uh, you know, you'll probably hear from us in about six months, within the six months. Okay. Well, I was in, it took about two weeks before I was in Montreal training and getting measurements and everything else. What? It was, it was less than a month later that I was living in Las Vegas and what? I was in Mystère. Yeah. Uh, for High Bar. In Mystère? For High Bar. Yeah. So the, in the exact act that I wanted to be in. So I, it, they had two structures in Mystère as opposed to the single one in Alegria. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I was in the act that I wanted to do. Um, And I was also training for Chinese Poles. I ended up in Chinese Poles for many years. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so I started
0: my Cirque career in Mystera. Okay. But so how was it? Because we we had another guest on the show who also did that act, Jonathan Buse. And he said that he was petrified when he did that act the first time because he was so high. So like, how was your experience? So I was petrified as well the first time.
1: (laughs) The second time. The hundredth time <laughs> I was petrified every single night that I was out there. In fact, uh, I ended up having some uh, panic attack episodes during that time. Not, not necessarily up on the structure, but uh, you know, I would, I would have nightmares of that act. Yeah. I was, I was not disappointed. So I was very happy to do the act and it was a lot of fun while it was happening, even mm-hmm. though I was terrified, but I was kind of into that sort of thing, but I was not upset when I stopped doing high bar and moved on to other other disciplines
0: <laughs> oh, man I cannot imagine I know that feeling like when you anticipate that moment like you get home at nine you get to relax and then when you get to your bed you think like oh man I'm gonna have to do it again tomorrow like ugh, and then you're <laughs> yeah. like dreading that moment so much it, it's intense for sure it's intense yeah
1: what I remember most about that period of my life was so you you start your week and you're absolutely terrified and then by the end of the work week you feel you're still terrified but you feel a lot better about things Mm -hmm. and then you go on your weekend and you know chances are you're going out and you're having fun you're having a great weekend Mm -hmm. and then two days later you've got two more shows to do and you're up even in rehearsals getting lowered from the ceiling down it's like oh my god it's like it's like i'm doing this for the very first time again i'm absolutely petrified (laughs) yeah it's just so high like even you don't even have to be doing like crazy acrobatics i ended up doing like a pretty high level skill there kovac Mm -hmm.
0: you did kovac on the bar to the catcher to the yeah off the bar to the catcher so it was was a pretty pretty
1: pretty big skill um but it didn't take the big skills to be afraid like even just swinging and doing you know swing half turns which is Mm -hmm. super easy for every gymnast on the planet Mm -hmm. um you're just so high that when you first start doing it it, it's it's pretty scary
0: yeah (laughs) man i cannot imagine and so for how many years did you do the show for
1: so i joined in 1996 toward the end of 1996
0: till the end of 99
1: okay nice yeah yeah so you know a pretty big chunk of time I
0: was mm-hmm.
1: yeah and at that time, in that time I was also doing a little bit of uh, tumbling track there and um Chinese poles every night
0: yeah cool and so Vegas live did you like it because you're Canadian coming from Toronto everything was nice there
1: Oh, man, it was what a change in lifestyle. Yeah, no, it was, it was crazy. I enjoyed having fun. You know, I also I had a motorcycle. I liked that I could drive my motorcycle all year round, you know, you didn't have to wait for the seasons. Mm. And I was into golfing, you know, you could golf pretty much all year round as well. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, I really embraced the the
0: Las Vegas lifestyle. I liked it. Yeah. Did you choose to leave? Or did you get casted for another show? Like what made the transition happen?
1: So what happened the whole time when we were in Mestre? Uh, I met Etienne Deneau. Do you know Etienne Deneau? No. He's a, so he's, a, he's an acrobat um, who was with Cirque du Soleil for a long time. Um, pretty much most of the time that I was there, we were acrobatic partners. So he was a catcher in Myster. Mm-hmm. But then after hours and before hours, we were working on an aerial act. Mm-hmm. And also hand to hand, we're working all those things simultaneously. So what happened was we ended up having a couple finished products uh, with hand balancing and aerial.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we we kind of went back and forth between aerial silk and aerial straps, but they were duo acts. Okay. And so I said we we finished with Cirque the end of ninety nine. We actually had a a pretty you know what we thought was a great offer for a, a New Year's show, and so we had offers. To perform before we even left Circ. So what we did was we left there, we went into the corporate circuit, uh, we did our aerial act, we did Chinese polls, we did hand to hand. And um finally until Circ came calling again for uh delirium. For delirium. Wow. Yeah. And so we did that creation. And that's the only creation I ever did. Also, oh, we did the creation for delirium. Yeah. Yeah. We did the entire creation for delirium and and Man, what an experience, you know, you've probably done
0: a creation. It's it's something special. Yeah, Yeah, but man, I I knew a lot of the performance therapists working with us at the moment, and she did the creation with you guys too. And she was telling me that it was crazy. It
1: was crazy. It was kind of a rushed creation period. Yeah, Anouk, I know, I know very well. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) excellent. Yeah, it was, so most creations before that time, you know, took, I don't know, I would say at least eight months, probably closer mm-hmm. to a, a year. Yeah. And uh, we got, we got that creation period lasted three and a half months at okay. the most.
0: Super. Expressed. And so,
1: yeah, yeah. So that was, it was pretty rushed, but you know, at the end uh, it, had a, a less acrobatics in that show, a, a little bit more dancing and uh, music oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, which I think is one of the reasons why we could kind of put a rush on it like that. Mm-hmm. Um the the end product was 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 pretty unusual especially mm-hmm. for Cirque at that time and uh yeah that was a great show to work on it was fun what were you doing on the show uh, aerial straps
0: aerial straps yeah. duo aerial partner strap.
1: yeah duo aerial straps yeah nice. and we were doing character work and uh, even doing some drumming and and uh, a lot of other fun stuff but the main act was aerial straps there
0: yeah i heard the stage was huge and that the you guys were touring like rock and roll tour buses like sleeping in the buses and stuff like that
1: yeah yeah that's what made it pretty special i mean the producers of the show were they all came from rock and roll so um so we'll start with the stage the stage was like like as long as my street it was like a big long street it wasn't (laughs) it wasn't that wide but it was super super long and it spanned the entire arena and we could only play huge arenas they later on revamped it to be able to play small ones Mm -hmm. um but for the north american north american tour they needed uh very big venues to support that stage yeah and then the uh and then the lifestyle they had a staying in all of these you know you know ritzy hotels because they're the the producers were rock and roll people Mm -hmm. and you would think that that would be great but you know I didn't want to pay $25 for my burger after, <laughs>
0: <laughs> after the show. Yeah, dude. Oh man. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. You know, when you're one to order something from roof service, you know, a couple times a day, and it's costing you a minimum of 50, $60 each time, you know, it yeah. adds up.
2: <laughs> <For sure. laughs> but,
1: but the, uh, the buses were cool. Yeah. We had, we had bunks on the buses. We had a, a room in the back with a television room in the front with the television and we went on, yeah, long road trips. It was, it was a great time. Oh, and for
0: how long do you guys toured with Delirium
1: for? Uh, two years. Two years. Yeah. So we did we basically did the whole North American tour. And then we did not go to the onto the European tour. Okay. Yeah. We ended up leaving. Oh, no. We were in and out a lot, you know, um, with our shows. We had our foot pretty deeply implanted into the corporate event world too. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as we sort of um, you know, started getting bored or wanting to do something else, um, we we felt confident in leaving and knowing that uh, you know, if we want to return, maybe we will, maybe we won't. Um we hope to because it's always great going back to Circ. But um but we we just wanted to do a lot of different things and, and yeah. luckily we were
0: able to accomplish that. Yeah. Nice. And so when you guys left delirium you went back to the corporate world and you did you work corporate for a long time um yeah so
1: we would have left probably in 2000 the end of 2006 we worked right away doing a bunch of events our return to Cirque would have been in 2008 so we would have spent about a year and a half to two years in the corporate world and then um they called us back for salt and Banco for on a temporary contract. This time for hand to hand. Wow! Yeah, we we went through it. We started on high bar and Chinese poles, and then uh, we got hired for aerial straps. And, oh, and I forgot to mention that for Delirium, our hand to hand was the backup act.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, you're doing so, everything in the show. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, they didn't need us for backup that often, and so when we did get to perform luckily it went really well and so people took notice of that that uh, you know the the audience responded to our hand-to-hand act pretty well mm-hmm. and so we left for a little while and did our thing and then uh, they called us back for salt and banco that like i said i think we're out for six or six or eight month contract for that one nice yeah were you replacing marco and paolo the alexi brothers at that time we weren't replacing them directly no it was their spot and we were wearing the same that's what that was such a awesome thing you know those guys are legends I love those guys um we were wearing you know we were doing their their act you know we were on the wow. same stage as they were we were you know wearing the same uniforms and wow. uh obviously our act was different than theirs but uh, but it was an honor to just kind of be in the the same uh character you know, position that they were in. You know, those guys are the best.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean I can't imagine. I was watching the DVD of Saltimbanco when I was a teenager. You know, and they were my some of my heroes. And it's actually the first show I have ever seen live was Saltimbanco. And I remember at this time, Marco and Paulo were not there anymore, but the act was still so good. And there is something about Saltimbanco that it's so classic, Sergio Soleil. So I'm sure you must have had a great time performing on the show.
1: Yeah, it really was. You know, Salt and Banco is one of those historical shows within, you know, the realm of Cirque du Soleil. If if you're a fan of Cirque du Soleil, you you are a fan of Salt and Banco. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And so we, we finished that contract. And then right away we got another contract with a Greek pop star. Uh his okay. name is Antonis Antonis Ramos. Mm-hmm. And so we lived in Athens, Greece after that for nine months. And oh. um, while we were there. We got the call to go back to Salton Banko for hand to hand again. And so, <laughs> yeah, and so we we finished up our our contract in Greece, and we went back to Salm banko This time we lasted another I think two and a half years, something like that. yeah, and it was great. That, what a tour that was. We went to Australia for six months. We were touring all through Europe, western e- Eastern. Um, we went to Turkey. we went to uh, went to South Africa
0: wow south africa
1: what yeah got to south africa did some uh cage diving with great white sharks yeah it was was such a good experience that's
0: crazy how was it for you guys to perform in australia because when we were there with totem i remember we struggled so much with the heat like i remember sydney and melbourne were so boiling hot and like i remember for duo work like in aerial we we had to like do a different entry on the trapeze because it was just so hot and humid. And I assume the hand-to-hand act is also, it can get pretty critical if it's the temperatures are too high.
1: Yeah, the, the heat is never good. So my uh, acro partner, Etienne, had a bald head like me, mm. and I'm doing one-arm handstands on his bald head. And, <laughs> you know, bald heads, he's sweating, I'm sweating, my hand's sweating, there's just sweat everywhere. And he's got a smooth... Smooth, bald head, and I'm supposed to be <laughs> you know not slipping off of this thing, so yeah. yeah, we used a lot of glue, a lot of chalk to be honest the the time I remember we were just it was like we just you know came out of a, a swimming pool was in Spain. They didn't have any air conditioning, and it was just a packed arena. That's the one in particular that i just I remember uh, man it was it was the hardest act to get through, I think that we ever
0: did on that tour. Oh my god! Yeah, these are these are crazy. Because I guess now, I mean, we had like that chart backstage with temperature and humidity, and you had like a curve of like the ratio of temperature versus humidity, and it was very clear. Like if there is that high temperature versus that much humidity, that the act is you can do a modified version, and up uh, to a certain level, it's like the act is cut because it's uh, the safety wise is becoming too to trick yeah for
1: sure and and i think with aerial acts that's even it's even more important to you know kind of draw that line where of safety you know in hand to hand unfortunately people don't really have much sympathy for us how far am i going to fall right (laughs) (laughs) you know we're standing on the ground yeah you know and he's not that tall so (laughs) even doing a one arm handstand on his head if i was the to fall down it wouldn't be as tragic as uh you know if i was doing an aerial act but
0: yeah it's true but i i mean when, once you know acrobatics you're a little bit more like yeah but they mean it's it sucks too you <laughs> it, it sucks. yeah for sure yeah it's, you know you know back to back and
1: hand to hand where you're oh yeah yeah and so basically you would just torpedo your head into the stage if you <laughs> flip down there if you're if uh, if your partner doesn't catch you in time
0: oh man these are good times and, and you said yeah. so how long Total you did on Satimogo, two and a half years?
1: Yeah, so I had that, that temporary contract and then we went back for about two and a half years,
0: yeah. All right, and what was the decision for you to leave?
1: Um, basically, we thought about retiring. Etienne needed a couple surgeries. I believe he ended up having surgery on both shoulders and he ended up getting a, a coaching position not long after that. Um, I moved to Vancouver with my wife who I'd met on the Salt and Banco tour, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, in in Vancouver, I opened up a gym called AcroFit Alternative Fitness. Oh, yeah. And so while I was there, I was I was still itching to kind of perform, so I came up with uh, kind of a mix of a bunch of different disciplines. A solo act called Power Tower, mm-hmm. and so it was basically uh, I kind of stole a little bit of the idea from Dominic Lacasse. And then mm-hmm. I put a handstand rig on top of it. So I was doing one-arm handstands on top of the pole. Mm. And then I put like a, uh, a hand loop on it as well to add in the aerial stuff. So I basically took all the, all the stuff that I'd been doing for the last 20 years yeah, and, sure. um, and mixed it all into one solo act. And Cirque liked that act as well. And so then I, I performed that act a few times with Cirque Special Events. Mm-hmm. And that, that was great. You know, I love Cirque you know Mm -hmm. it was nice to see them in a different realm where not everything you get you know months and months to rehearse you know at one of those special events you got to just piece it together and you got to go with the flow and make it work yeah and uh, that's kind of the one of the worlds that I I'd lived in for a very long time and uh, it was nice to do that with Cirque du Soleil
0: yeah for sure I remember the first one of the first special events we did with Sarah there were a lot of ex-Alegria power track people who were doing just character and I, I remembered everyone was just so chill chill out. everyone was just like yeah you know we can just oh it doesn't work yeah it's okay we'll do this instead like it was it was, it was a very <laughs> very different experience but super fun for sure like that okay we'll make it work it's, so let's go. yeah
1: yeah you got to you got to make it work because you know you, you fly in you've got maybe 24 hours to put something together and for Cirque du Soleil rehearsal time that's a that's a blip that's <laughs> nothing so you you, you got to make it work
0: yeah our partner in this episode is Circus Talk the online carrier marketplace for circus and the performing arts Circus Talk is the new thing that is great for our international circus community. It is an amazing information resource, bringing news, events, and industry trends to us, professionals working in the field. What also makes Circus Talks amazing is their first online casting platform that connects talents and talent seekers in circus and performing arts. If you're a talent seeker, you can finally post jobs and auditions in a professional and transparent way instead of using social media accounts. There are already over 28,000 artists profiles on Circus Talk that talent seekers can search while talents can find jobs and apply to them via the Circus Talk platform. You can get your first month free on both Circus Talk talent and Talent Seeker Pro membership by using the promo code Tapirouge, in one word. So go to circustalk.com, sign up to PRO, and use the code rouge to find your spotlight with our partner, Circus Talk. Alright guys, a little side story now. Back in 2014, I hurt my back training backstage before a show. The pain was so intense, I couldn't put my socks on, sit for more than two minutes, and obviously, it took me out of the show for quite some time. I followed a strict core rehabilitation program and after 6 weeks, I got back on stage, but I kept having recurring pain. So I started to educate myself about core anatomy, rehab training and pain science. I wanted to understand why am I doing all these exercises if the pain keeps coming back. The more I was learning, the more I understood I had to change. I started switching exercises, tweaked some techniques and executions. And also completely changed my perception of pain. After a couple of weeks, on top of reducing considerably my pain level, I was feeling so much stronger, which increased my confidence to move and better perform on stage. My life overall was so much better. Finally, I was pain-free and not scared to hurt my back again. I had a lot of artists and athlete friends who saw that happening and asked me, hey, What did you do for your back? And I thought, I could put it all out in a clear and clean way instead of always putting random videos on YouTube and giving quick guidance. So I reached out to all the best doctors, physiotherapists and performance medicine specialists whom I met touring and asked them to help me develop Protocol Cut to the Core. Protocol Cut to the Core is the first rehab and strengthening protocol for back or hip pain That also includes a comprehensive course in core anatomy, biomechanics, and pain science. It is approved by doctors, physios, and performance medicine specialists from five different countries. If you are suffering from acute or persistent back or hip pain, you can find protocol Cut to the Core on our website at cuttothecorefitness.com. When movement is an issue, movement is the solution. And now... Let's get back to the show. So at that time, you're like based in Vancouver. You have your own gym. You're still working corporate events. And like at the beginning of the episode, you mentioned that you toured South America with your family and your two-year-old daughter. So how did that happen? So, okay. So um, my
1: wife and I, we owned AcroFit Alternative Fitness. and and we owned it from 2015 until when we got the call. So my my daughter was basically born right when we got the gym. So that was uh, a crazy time, you know, oh taking care God, of a, a newborn sure. while trying to develop a, a new business. And luckily, the the business took off, and my daughter was healthy and great. And that was a, a stressful but fun few years. Mm-hmm. But when Cirque made the call for uh, coaching Amaluna, we were like, you know what, you know, our our daughter's two years old, when she's five, she's got to be in school. Mm -hmm. So we've got three years to do this, if we really want to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So should we should we choose, you know, to go out and see the world with as a family? Or do we keep developing this business? Mm -hmm. And uh, we ended up deciding to sell the business Sell our house and uh, head out to South America on tour as head coach with uh, Amaluna.
0: Wow, man, a crazy yeah. decision! You sell everything, you pack your family, and let's go. Yeah, you know my wife was completely on board
1: with it, and which, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, it, like what an experience! Even Dill, when she looked, my daughter, mm-hmm. her name is Dylan. When she looks back on the pictures from that time, you know you know, I don't know how much she actually remembers, but it's nice these days when you document everything and it kind of, it triggers the memory, you know, Mm -hmm. even, even if you don't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily remember it without those, uh,
0: those triggers, those pictures and videos. Yeah, for sure. And so how was that experience going into going back on tour, but as the head coach now? So coaching is
1: much different than, uh, being an acrobat, uh, coaching, coaching's so I would say the the main difference is you know as an acrobat you you know what your track is you know what your tasks are and you aim to perfect those tasks Mm -hmm. and you perform them as a coach and you know I have a pretty diverse background in acrobatics but I didn't know a whole lot about a lot of the things that i was supposed to be coaching <laughs> you know what i mean like i like i don't know which coach would like how many yeah. acts are in you know these shows yeah, there's sure. 15 20 you know yeah. maybe even more than that sometimes yeah, it's a lot
0: and sometimes very obscure disciplines that like no one like there is, there is there are maybe two coaches in the world that can like coach these discipline to a high level and that's it
1: yeah exactly. So you're trying to be a good coach, but at the same time, the people you're coaching, like with the teeterboard guys and, and Amaluna, mm-hmm. those guys, they're great at what they do. You know They're a lot better at teeterboard than I, I would ever have been. You know, basically, my job with those guys is risk management because yeah. they can be a little nuts, right? Yeah. They, you, know, they're, they're, you know, these guys are doing crazy stuff. And basically, I need to keep them from killing themselves. Aside from that, (laughs) what the heck am I going to tell them that's going to improve their technique? These are technical masters. Mm -hmm. So, you know, stuff like that, certain disciplines I know about. You know, I did, you know, aerial straps and Mm hand-to-hand, and I did some hand balancing. I've got the things Chinese Pole. There was a Chinese Pole Act in Amaluna. So there's things that I know about, and you sort of have to uh, accept that you're not going to be a good technical coach for everything you could be a great supportive coach, and you could be uh, extremely helpful in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. but you need to realize early on because I always feel guilty I'm like why am i how am I the coach for this particular discipline? I just I feel like a an imposter, a fraud because mm-hmm. because
0: I don't know much about it, yeah, yeah it can be tricky for sure, but I think that's the best approach to have because i If you have a head coach that is trying, trying to pretend that, oh, I know everything, I'm going to teach you, all of you guys how to do your thing, it's pretty quick that you realize, like, either you're the greatest coach I've ever met or you're like, "Mm, I don't know if I really trust what you're saying right now. And this is where it's not being very productive for anyone.
1: I decided from day one that I wasn't going to try to be somebody that I wasn't that's how people get hurt mm-hmm. and and that was another scary thing you know about coaching is that you've got you've got a whole cast of acrobats and uh, artists whose lives are in your hands mm-hmm. you know essentially you know because like i said risk management is pretty much the number one role of a of a head coach on these shows mm-hmm. and uh, and it can be scary you know when people are doing risky things and it can be your fault
0: yeah <laughs> for sure were you on yeah. satimanko where the accident with Yannick- and James happened uh no
1: I arrived after that so they were both recovered and in the show when I arrived Mm -hmm. and they were both back to uh full recovery but um but yeah I heard I heard those stories yeah Mm -hmm. pretty pretty intense yeah Yeah.
0: so how long did you stay on Amaruna as a head coach for
1: um I was there for two years so I joined in 2018 and basically stopped uh, when the whole show stopped due to, uh, well, I think it was closing anyway, but mm-hmm. the pandemic closed all the shows at that point.
0: Yeah. yeah. And were you happy about these two years? Like, was the whole coaching experience fulfilling for you with all the acts that you dig and all like the experience that you had? Did you feel that the, that experience as a head coach was like a good mix yeah. of everything, all the knowledge you accumulated over the years?
1: Absolutely. You know, I, I really enjoyed the job. It was awesome. You know, there are certain points, you know, I tended to take the artist side on a lot of issues Mm because there's always issues. Right. Yeah. And so I'm not sure how great of a politician I am. And and you kind of need to play that political role as well as a, as a head coach. I would say that was the negative part. But, you know, that's 10% of it. The other 90%, it was a blast. I loved it. You know, I love being in that world. I love that role within that world. The, and of course, the tour itself, touring South America with my family, um, I look back on that as a, is just entirely positive. Yeah. Like I said, or at least 90% positive.
0: Oh, that's amazing. And so what did you do when the show closed? Did you Were you like, okay, I'm going to go back and reopen another gym? Or like, what was the plan after that?
1: Yeah, so um, when we were done with the show, basically, that's when uh, COVID hit. And so there was time on our hands. Mm -hmm. And while I was with Amaluna, I'd started writing a book on fitness. And so, you know, when when COVID hit, and I had a lot of time on my hands at home, I started writing my book that ended up, you know, being released just a couple months ago. So that was sort of one aspect of it. The other aspect, I was personal training at a big box gym here, but it just kept on closing. You know, I would coach for a month, then it would close. And then maybe two months later, it would open up again, then it would close. And finally, I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe I should do what my wife was doing at the time, which was personal training out of our garage gym. Okay, Uh, so we had we had a fairly sizable garage. It was very well equipped. And uh, my wife was personal training, you know, mostly friends and family or at least friends of friends Mm -hmm. um, out of there. But then her clientele grew and grew and grew because, you know, she's a great trainer. Mm -hmm. And uh, her reputation grew. And I was like, Well, I kind of like that she gets to work from home. Mm -hmm. And uh, it sounds like a fun lifestyle that maybe i'd like to give it a go too because there's so many hours in the day there's no way she's going to use up all of those hours mm-hmm. you know it's going to kill her so so i was like okay well i'll try to uh see if i can get a few clients and i did and then more and then more and mm-hmm. then eventually now you know we have a uh, pretty much a, a full roster of clients she much pretty much takes a lot of the morning and then i take afternoon and evening and um and it there's always somebody there for my daughter if uh, if she's not in school mm-hmm. because only one of us uses the gym at a time. It's it's mm-hmm. private personal training, which the clientele likes. And yeah, the lifestyle is great. We work from home. We get to do what we love. And yeah, yeah it's, man, it's, it's
0: amazing. But, general- but wait, because you said you started writing your book when you were coaching on Amaluna, but how was the whole process? Or did you already release another book?
1: Uh, no, so it it wasn't my first book but it was my that was the first time i intended to have anything done with it like get it published okay. so i i've written i've written two let's call it two and a half novels mm-hmm. uh, before and um that was just sort of an artistic outlet for me you know i went to school for journalism mm-hmm. i've always been interested in writing it's always been a passion of mine my fiction writing was admittedly is a little bit out there I just wasn't ready to show people you know it it wasn't something that I needed out there Mm -hmm. I didn't really care to get the fiction published but this time you know I consider myself an expert in health and fitness Mm -hmm. and uh, right from the beginning I wrote it with the
0: intention of doing something with it Mm. and trying to find an audience for it yeah Yeah. for sure because Ben with your career and your experience like from the highest level of gymnastics and all the cirque shows, all the different acts, like transforming your bodies in such different ways. I'm sure you, you must have like a, a library in your mind of like all the different way of training and all.
1: Absolutely. You know, health in general, the scientific part, the physical applications of everything, it's always been a passion of mine. I love to learn. I have, you know, I think at this point, sixteen certifications for whether it's, uh, you know, training, nutrition, conditioning, strength, hypertrophy. Sixteen. You have sixteen certifications. Sixteen. Yep, I've got a even a like a weird Titleist Performance Institute golf trainer wow. certification. I, I've just always wanted to learn about health and fitness in general, mm-hmm. so it's nice to find a a place to apply it you know i'm applying it in my real life i'm applying it in my writing and it doesn't stop every day i'm you know i'm still listening to podcasts reading books watching videos it's just it's just something i genuinely
0: enjoy enjoy yeah. i mean it's amazing and so what is your approach do you have like a, your own method that you're explaining in the book or is it a compilation of advices or like
1: i would call it more of a, a compilation of advice i don't think there is any one method for everybody. I do think that, you know, whether you're trying to build muscle or uh, lose fat, which is, you know, let's face it, for 80%, maybe higher than that of the people out there, they're either wanting to lose lose fat or gain muscle or mm-hmm. do both. Yeah. You know, of course, health is at the, the base of, of everything. Um, I do think nutritionally speaking, you know, people don't concentrate enough on protein, having, you know, mm-hmm. high enough protein in their diet high plant, you know, I think high fiber and high micronutrient is important in the diet. Mm -hmm. And so basically, you know, nutritionally speaking, and I I say it a lot throughout the book that, you know, the concepts are simple, but they're not that easy to implement. Mm. But it's a very simple concept, for example, high protein, high plant. And then if you get, you know, your adequate daily dose of, protein and plants, vegetables and fruits, you know, Mm -hmm. plants, then after that, you're probably not going to be super hungry for all the junk. But if you feel like eating something crappy, if you feel like eating, you know, a bag of chips, Mm -hmm. you know, try not to, but go for it. You know, don't hold back on those things. Because as soon as you start depriving yourself of something, that's when you're going to want it even more, Mm -hmm. you know, protein is the most uh, satiating macronutrient. Mm -hmm. And so if you you're eating, you know, 120 to 150 grams of protein in a day, you're not going to be that hungry. Mm -hmm. And that works in both ways. Protein, of course, is the number one macronutrient for building muscle, Mm -hmm. you need protein to build muscle. And so it works in that aspect. But it's so satiating that you're not going to overeat if you if you get that daily dose of protein, even the fruits and vegetables super high in water content and fiber, that takes up a lot of room. Mm -hmm. If you get all of those things in at every meal in every snack, then if you're still hungry after that, go ahead and eat what you need to eat, Mm -hmm. eat more. You know, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then after that, if you're not you know, your goals aren't quite there, then maybe we need to get a little bit more specific. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's sort of the basic of it. Of course, it's 250 page book. I say more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But nutritionally speaking, if you can eat adequate protein, fruits, and vegetables at every meal, that's the perfect start. That's your 85% there. Oh,
0: okay. And in the side guys now, there are a lot of nutritional trends, you know, like oh, paleo, uh, Mediterranean, intermittent fasting, that there are a lot of. Stuff out there. And I think what can be a little bit difficult is that there are a lot of studies. There are a lot of studies that say something is good, and a lot of studies that say, oh no, this actually is not so good for you. And so, how do you like select what is the best for you? Well, if you ask me,
1: they're all good if it's the one that you're going to stick to. So, paleo, the results, the studies on paleo, very positive. You know, studies on keto, even, which is more extreme. Mm-hmm. Positive, except that it's hard to stick to. So if you if you can't stick to it, then who cares if it's going to work? You know. Mm-hmm. So really, vegetarianism, uh, if you do it right, if you get enough protein and you're taking your uh, your B12 supplements, mm-hmm. vegetarianism is great too. They're all great if you can stick to it. But if you love burgers and steaks and you're a vegan, well, and it's working for the first month, of course but in your mind, you're going crazy. You're like, Oh, I just need a burger. Mm -hmm. Well, then that's not for you. Right. And so you need to sort of look in the mirror and, and ask yourself, okay, if I'm looking at all of these different methods, which one am I going to be able to live the rest of my life on? Cause anybody can go extreme for a month, Mm -hmm. two months, three months, but there's a reason why everybody bounces back and gains all the weight back and everything else. You need to pick, a lifestyle change that you can sustain Mm -hmm. for the rest of your life rather than just going extreme for the next month or two because you want to have abs
0: for the summer. Yeah. And about that, about like the abs, the training part, like it's the same. I feel like some people say, oh no, CrossFit is the best. No, uh, just going to the gym, doing weightlifting is the best. Oh no, I do only body weight, calisthenics kind of stuff. So what do you think about all this stuff?
1: It's exactly the same. So the best form of exercise is the one that you're you're going to stick to and be consistent with. You're not going to hate it. If you look long enough, you're going to find one that you look forward to. Mm-hmm. You know, so whether it's playing tennis a few days a week, my wife is picking the CrossFit; she loves it. You'll find something that you love. It start with walking. Everybody has to love a, a walk out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. You know, find somewhere to take a an interesting walk and go from there. Obviously, your, your audience is mostly kind of athletes or mm-hmm. people who are kind of in that athletic world mm-hmm. so you know they know what they like but for somebody who's just starting out or just what i say freshly off their ass the book is called get off your ass <laughs> it's a great great title yeah so if they're just freshly off their ass they need to find a some sort of physical movement that they enjoy mm-hmm. and it's the same with nutrition everybody knows what what is terrible the the terrible foods right <laughs> What you need to do is find great recipes of the foods that you like and then start with a small base, maybe five to 10 meals. And then it's slowly going to grow and grow and grow. And eventually you're going to look forward to every meal, even though they're healthy. And uh, if you're dying and you need to go out there and get some McDonald's, go for it. Go out there. Don't feel guilty about it. Eat your McDonald's and then get back on track. Mm -hmm. I have a a chapter in the book called Never Say Fuck It. (laughs) Because if you think one slip means that your whole day is ruined, well then, it's just never gonna last. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you make a slip and you eat something that you're not proud of, move past it. Who cares? Everybody, it's it's not gonna make or break you in any way, shape, or form.
0: Mm-hmm. There is a coach, a Canadian coach that I, I really likes called Christian Thibodeau, and he said that the ratio of healthy food versus junk food should be eighty-five fifteen. Right. Yeah. If you can do eighty-five percent of your food is healthy and 15% is junk. The ratio where the junk is not going to impact your health and fitness. But what he said, he said it's a very difficult ratio to maintain because it's not like 95-5. It's not like, oh, once a month you have a pizza. It's like a little bit more than that. And he said that with his experience, it's very difficult to stick to that 85-15 ratio
1: psychology plays a lot into this right so if you're the type of person that tastes something that they like say they have a cookie and then they want to eat the whole box of cookies well then you might be better off just avoiding cookies altogether
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know what i mean and so there there's certain personalities that these are the kind of your keto people where they they're all or nothing right mm-hmm. they need to stay hardcore because if they go even a little bit offline they're going to go nuts and they're going to fall off off the wagon completely yeah, most people aren't like that, though. I think most people, if they really put their mind to it, if they go into it going, okay, I'm going to eat this one cookie. And I'm going to be, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to make the most of it. But then I'm going to stop. If you go into it with that mindset, then, uh, you know, the that 8515, I've heard the 8020 rule, mm-hmm. sort of the same thing. Mm-hmm. It depends on your your psychology. Again, So at the beginning of your process, you need to look in the mirror and be like, okay, do I want to be a slow and steady wins the race type of person? Or do I need to sort of go extreme? Because if I go even slightly offline, I fall off the rails. Mm. And so sometimes going extreme in the beginning can work for some people because what will happen is they get results. Yeah. Results are motivating. And then what they need to plan on though, is not going, okay, I'm going to go extreme for 3 months and then kind of go back to my old lifestyle you need to slowly kind of integrate out of that extremism if you choose to take that route temporarily in the beginning
0: yeah oh man it's amazing so all of that stuff is in your book get off your ass all
1: of it's in the book well basically i document the what i recommend for lifestyle changes within the first 3 months
0: okay yeah oh man it's yeah. amazing and we can find the book anywhere on amazon bookshop anywhere
1: yeah and and all the major online outlets you can you can
0: find the book Yeah, man that's amazing i can't wait to dive into this excellent thank you Uh, thank you before i let you go i have one last question for you what's that if tomorrow aliens would land on earth how would you describe cirque du soleil to them
2: Cirque du
1: Soleil. Ah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to Earthlings, I would I would have kind of a better description, but even that doesn't work anymore because what used to be considered circus has kind of turned. Now people don't know about Barnum and Bailey anymore, mm-hmm. and and old school circus. Now Cirque du Soleil is kind of the is what circus is, you know, even the offshoots, they're all just different forms of circus at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. So, uh, geez, (laughs) that's a tough one. (laughs) Uh, The the epitome of athleticism
0: meets the epitome of artistry, I would say. Pretty good. Pretty good definition. Well, Darren, thank you so much for taking some of your time to come and have a chat with me. And uh, I wish you good luck for the training and I can't wait to, yeah, again, I can't wait to start reading your book. It sounds super, super cool.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was great to talk to you again.
0: Yeah, great to talk to you. Take care, brother.
1: Great. So I had say hi to the family for me. Yes, I will. Take care. <laughs> All right. You take care. Bye-bye.
0: How great is Darren? I really like his way of approaching health and nutrition. His thing of eating the healthy food first to make sure you get all the nutrients that you need, and then if you want to eat a little something extra, go for it. I love that. We will post the link to where to buy his book on our Instagram at Podcast this week. Now you can take a small moment of your time to give us a good rating and maybe a little review on your podcast app. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CircusTalk.com or wherever you're getting your podcasts. And my friends, you know it. That's it for today. Thank you for tuning in every week. I wish you a great day, a good show. And you know, there is a saying in the circus. When we depart, we don't say goodbye. We say, see you down the road.